Have you ever said anything that you regretted? <laughs> whenever, whenever you ask a question like that when I was younger, that's so obvious in its answer, my grandmother would say, is the Pope Catholic? You know? <laughs> or you might say, are teenagers hungry five minutes after you just fed them? You know? The answer to all these questions is yes, of course. I think of it with this image that when you say something that you re- know you're going to regret, it's like this, you wish that you had this like lasso that you could just kind of grab those words and just pull them back in before they land, you know? Who can tame the tongue? James asks with, with this obvious answer, no one can really tame the tongue. You know, we have this knee-jerk reaction usually because we're defending ourselves. That's often where we see those words go out that we regret. It's usually having something to do with self-concern. That we're either comparing ourselves to somebody else and trying to one-up them, or somebody has slighted us in our own mind and, and we're trying to defend ourselves in some way, or, or maybe you just are promoting yourself and it has to do with being locked in a dungeon of self. And so in this new year, in a season when we often think about developing new habits, what about the old habits? The knee-jerk reactions where we say things we regret because we're locked in a dungeon of self. How can we get out of that dungeon? Is there a new habit that aims at our hopes? Is there a habit that aims at our hopes? Is there a habit that can take us further down the road towards our hopes? There are 59 one another's in the the Bible. We've talked about this before. And there's one that stands out, and this passage is all about it. And it forms a habit. It can form a habit that can take us in the direction of our hopes and take us out of the dungeon of self. And that habit is serving. Serving one another. From Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28, would you turn with me in your scriptures, in your Bible, if you brought it this morning, you can see it on the screens, you can pull it up on your phone. I would encourage you in this new year, one good new habit would be bring your Bible. One of our elders this weekend showed me in the, in the margin of his Bible when we were reading a particular verse, he, it's something that really stood out to him was a memory that he had written right next to that verse. Yeah, it's just good to take notes in the margin. Your, your Bible should look like a mess. You know, bring it here and mess it up, all right? New habit for the new year. Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him, that's Jesus, with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And he said, and, and she said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and the other at your left hand, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you're asking. 
Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those, those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. Father, it's Epiphany Sunday, Sunday when we as a church recognize that you have opened our eyes to the wonder of the greatest gift, your Son, our Savior. The wise men looked up, saw a star, and it became like them an epiphanic flash, an aha moment. Lord, open our eyes this morning. Bring us an aha through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to tell you this morning how to keep a seven-ton elephant tamed and at bay just by a stake in the ground that he could easily pull up. You know how you do that? You start him when he's really young. Really young. Too young to pull up, too small to pull up that stake. And there's a, a condition. It's called, it's called learned helplessness. You can condition an animal to feel helpless when they feel that tug against that stake. That even though a seven-ton elephant could easily pull that stake out. It's learned to feel helpless against that stake. Now, isn't that you and me in some of our habits, in terms of some of our habits? We feel the temptation, or we feel a tug, and we feel sometimes helpless against it. But we're not. You say, well, how do you break that habit? How, how does the elephant... Pull up the stake. You know how the elephant pulls up the stake? You know how you get an elephant to pull up a stake even though he's been conditioned to feel helpless against it? Here's the answer. If it's a circus elephant tied to the stake, you light the tent on fire. That's how you get them to break the stake. Now, how do you light your tent on fire in 2024? What's going to light your tent on fire? You've already heard the answer. The answer is to serve one another. You think, well, is that really lighting your tent on fire? Absolutely it is. It is a radical call. It's a call to light your tent. It's a totally different mindset. I remember asking my kids recently if they'd seen the movie Jerry Maguire, and then that's when I realized, you know, that movie came out two years before they were born. That kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. I wouldn't recommend it because of the language, but the story is such a great story. It's a story of a guy who is an, a sports agent, and he, he doesn't really care about the people he's representing, these up-and-coming athletes. He doesn't really care about them. 
He cares about the bottom line. And one day he wakes up, he says, I woke up and grew a conscience because somebody called me out that I was just shallow. And he writes this mission statement. He stays up all night, writes this mission statement about how what's meaningful in this business is to care for the people that you represent. And he copies it at Kinko's, you know, and sticks it in everybody's box. And uh, the whole company reads his mission statement. And then he has this regret, like, oh, man, I just went public, you know. What's he doing? He lit his tent on fire. He's saying, we're here to serve. And then you see this moment where he walks in, and the whole company had read it already. And, you know, they're all cheering him, saying, yeah, finally somebody said it. That's right. That's why we're here. This is so meaningful. This is great. And then you see two guys over in the corner, and they're, like, cheering him on. And the one guy says, how long do you give him? And he says, oh, I'll give him about a week. <laughs> like, they know that, yeah, this is, this is meaningful, and this is, this is a, a beautiful thing that he said. But this is a dog-eat-dog business in a dog-eat-dog world, and the bottom line is what is going to prevail, and this guy is going to get chewed up and spit out in this business in about a week. It's a radical call to be a servant in a world like ours where it's survival of the fittest a lot of times in your business, sometimes in your family. We had one kid who... Uh, who re- remained nameless, but he's one of the triplets, and he's not Jameson. And uh, we used to find we used to find snacks in his pockets, like you know, just like oh my gosh, what's going on? I mean, it, you know, he had to fight to survive in the, in our family, in the Filson family, it's a survival, you know. So how do we how do we show the world a different way? And the answer is the answer is serving one another. See, serving one another can pull up two stakes, two stakes that keep us locked into self-concern. The two stakes really just have to do with, with the this, this self-consciousness that we all have about whether or not we're going to get everything we need, self-consciousness, self-concern. And the second stake is idolatry. Now, the first one is really about worrying about what's going on around us, the people around us. And the second one is, is about control controlling them. So let's look at those two stakes. How do we pull them up? How does servant leadership help us pull up those two stakes and break free of the dungeon of self? First, self-concern is really about comparing ourselves to others. It's about worrying about what's going on around us instead of being a part of something bigger. Instead of recognizing you have a role in people's lives. Right? You have spheres of influence. But we're too, when we're too self-conscious and self-concerned, we have very little influence in our spheres. Self-concern is a stake that keeps us battened down into self-concern, to a dungeon of self. You see, the sons of Zebedee here are also called the sons of thunder. And after you see this mother who boldly goes before, this, uh, that before Jesus asking you know, she recognizes they, there's a new kingdom that's coming. This is the king. She recognizes this, there's somebody, something different about Jesus. Something new is, is happening here. I want my sons to be a part of this. And she comes in, and you realize, there's the thunder. You thought it was Mr. Zebedee. It's actually Mrs. Zebedee. She's the, she's the thunder. Here are the sons of thunder, and here's the thunder. Mama has come to speak up for her cubs. And she's saying, 
you know, and it says the ten were indignant. What, 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 who are these two? These are two of the twelve, two of Jesus' circle. Two people that he's pouring his life into, and what are they worried about? Their rank. How do they stack up against the rest of them? They're worried about their status. They're worried about themselves. You know, it reminds me of when I was, I used to coach you know, our, our kids coming up, you know, all the way up into uh, almost in high school. And, and I tried to make it fair, you know, tried to give everybody playing time. But, you know, when, when you're a parent and you're watching this, you know, you, you always feel like your, your son or daughter didn't get enough playing time. So I, I heard from parents occasionally. <laughs> I heard from them occasionally, you know, after the game. And uh, I heard from Sons of Thunder. Yeah. I heard from mama bears and papa bears about their speaking up. You know, there's, a, there's, there's this little thing floating around the internet. There are a bunch of different versions of this, but it's, it, it basically says this. Here's how to be truly miserable. You know how to be truly miserable? Think about yourself all the time. Worry about yourself. Use me, myself, and I a lot in sentences. Compare yourself to others. Make sure that you have enough. These are ways to be truly miserable. And Jesus is saying we've got a different way. We've got something to be a part of. And in serving one another... We are inviting ourselves, our souls, into a bigger picture to be a part of something bigger than just me, myself, and I. It makes me think of this uh, viral video that was going around uh, this Christmas. You've probably seen this. Did, did you see the, the kid who tells his mother she's in the car and, and he says, hey, and he's got this great British accent. I'm not going to try to do it, but it really lends a lot of credibility. You know, he says, um, you, know what, you know which one I'm talking about, right? He, he says, I, I got a great part in the, in the uh, Christmas play. It's a classic part. And she said, oh, a classic part? Are you Joseph? He said, no, no, no. She says, well, are you uh, the innkeeper? No. Are you one of the shepherds? He says, no, no. She said, well, I'm running out of guesses. Maybe you should tell me. He said, I'm doorkeeper number three. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's so excited about it. He's like, classic part. I'm doorkeeper number three. She says, well, who are you holding the door? I'm holding the door for Joseph and Mary. And he's just so fired up. The, the, the innocence of this, I mean, if you could just hold on to this, this is exactly what Jesus is saying. This is the innocence he's calling us back to. It is radically weird to think that way, but so freeing. Freeing. I mean, if you can see this boy, if he can get through the, the age and stage of being tormented for, for being so naive. You can imagine somebody who isn't locked up into a dungeon of self. Somebody who has the freedom to serve, who says, I just love being a part of something bigger than myself. Boy, that's just a beautiful picture of humanity as God originally intended it. 
And the strange thing is that even in a fallen world, he's saying it's possible for us to live that way. He's saying it's possible for us to be guided by that kind of ethic. Love one another. Serve one another. As it describes the, the be, one of the best passages that describes what Jesus has done in offering himself as a ransom, as it says at the end of this passage. Philippians chapter 2, it says, Each of you should look not only, but also. Not only to your own needs, but also to the needs of others. That, that not only, but also vision is an invitation to the posture of our Savior and our Lord. So that's the first stake. Servant leadership can give us a bigger picture of who we are, what we're a part of. And, and, and in some ways, it's not like you have to just sort of go off into a corner and figure this out and then, and then come out a different person and do it. Some ways, you know, you have to learn the new muscle memory, a new habit that aims at your hopes, even ahead of where your heart happens to be. That to practice a new habit sometimes is the means by which God gives us a new heart. To be free from self-concern, comparing, worrying, dwelling on ourselves. And second, the controlling stake. The stake that says, I'm going to control life apart from God. See, whatever you want apart from God is an idol. And this is the amazing thing, the strange thing, and this is where Jesus' compassion is coming in. You say, well, how does he have such restraint when these people are just, just it's all about themselves and Jesus is about to go give his life for them? And he's seeing this pettiness. How is he practicing such self-restraint? He realizes, you realize by looking at this, he has compassion on them because he knows this just isn't good for us. When we think we have control over something apart from God, we make it an idol. The, the whole idea of an idol is that, that we've got the thumb on what we think is controlling us. But whatever you live for, listen to this, whatever you live for is your master. That's your master. What's your master? Whatever you live for, that's your master. This is what Jesus is saying. And so if you're living in a place where you think you have control or you're living in such a way that you're trying to make life work for you apart from God, whatever that is, it's controlling you. It's got you under its thumb. Whatever you are, you have to have in order to be happy. Whatever you have to have by your own means. It's got a hold on you. It's a stake that has you in a dungeon of self. He talks about lording it over. He's making a comparison. He's saying, now let's look outside. Let's look at the way the world works. Let's, let's look at, with, with naivete, let's look at the way that things, the norms of the world they lord it over each other. This is a, a word that's only used by Jesus a couple of times, and it's used in the New Testament in parallel passages to this passage. It's a, an unusual word, and the purpose of him using this word, it's like he's verbed a noun. You ever heard anybody say that? Verbed a noun? He verbs a noun a little bit. He's using 
the word Lord, and he's putting a sort of modifier to it, and he's saying they lord it over each other. In other words, they, they are seeking constantly to control each other, to get what they want. Not so with you. Not so with you. <laughs> How is it that Jesus is, is trying to set us free with this? You, you think about the restraint in the face of pettiness of somebody who's about to give his life how is it that he has so much restraint? Because he realizes this is the dungeon from which he wants to free us. He said, well, is this really true? I mean, it, does this really work? I mean, we can see how compelling it is when you think about this, this child who has this great, <laughs> this great vision of his role in, in, in the, the Christmas play. You can see how petty it is when you're looking at somebody else, but, but for you and what you want and your world and your family and your business and in, in wherever you're working and your friends and how you stack up and all that, does, does serving really work? Well, yeah, there's a risk to it for sure. There's certainly a risk. People don't always respond well. But it's a question of where you're living. It's a question of, of whether or not you have the freedom just to not have to be constantly putting so much energy into one-upping the other person. Jesus is looking with restraint because he's looking with compassion. Uh, an example, a more modern example of this, still kind of from history, is the difference between uh, William Wallace in Scotland and... Robert the Bruce, who was the official king of Scotland, right? So Robert the Bruce has the position, but William Wallace has the influence. And there's this great scene uh, in, in the movie Braveheart that depicts this, this historic relationship between these two Scottish leaders, the one of, one of whom has the official position and the power, and the other of whom... Uh, it, it has the heart of the people. And it's, it's great to see somebody who, through fiction, tries to, to say, say, what was that, must that relationship have been like between those two leaders? And this is, this is how the dialogue goes in that movie, that Robert the Bruce is frustrated with his own leadership. And he's saying to his father, he, he's saying, you know, people fight for me because if they don't, I kick them off of my land and I starve their children. But people fight for Wallace because they believe. He said, I want to believe like he, like he does. You see, there's, a, there's this sense of freedom where you're setting the people free around you in your sphere of influence. That's where you begin, your influence begins, when you set them free, when you stop trying to control them to get what you want. When you begin to, what does that look like? So, for example, uh, Julia Singletary gave me a book called You're Not Listening. I was thinking there might be a message to that. I'm, <laughs> You're not listening. I'm going to give my pastor a book. You're not listening. Uh, I read it. I read it. It's an incredible book because what, it, what, it, what the book is all about is opening your ears in a way that really puts you in the other person's moment. You're not just waiting for them, their lips to stop moving so you can jump in and tell them what reality really is, right? Because that's often, you know, you, you've heard people say, you know, 
Uh, most of listening isn't really hearing, it's just waiting, waiting for your turn, right? But when you really listen, you're serving. You're serving the other person. You're serving the relationship. You're serving the conversation, the process. What about for you? Where, where are you not listening? Where, where can you serve the people around you? How can you step into their moment and stay there, not just waiting for your turn in order to get control of that conversation or that situation? How can you, in other words, serve in such a way that sets people free and opens up your own freedom? Not to have to control and to be, as a result, in pursuit of an idol that really has control of you. That apart from that control, you're just going to be frustrated with life. Frustrated with your relationships around you. Frustrated with your job. Frustrated into the new year with your old patterns. How can you set people free around you and as a result, free yourself from having to control them? And this is what Jesus is aiming us at. A new habit of service that aims us at our hopes. A hope of humanity. A hope of a different way of being together around your dinner table, at this place we call First Presbyterian. You say, well, but, you know, if I do that, someone's going to take advantage of me. Maybe. Maybe. You say, I've tried that, and she doesn't reciprocate. You say, okay, well, that's fine. But what are you about? What's your character about? What do you care about? Where are you living Constantly worried about whether or not you're going to get back what you're giving? That is a dungeon. What do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to be like? What kind of character do you want to have? What trajectory are you on? Forget about the rest of them. Can you live in a different place of freedom from having to have everything under your control? It's a mindset that really is lighting your tent on fire. It's a mindset, a posture that's just like Christ. That's why he affirms them when he says, yeah, we're going to drink your cup. Yeah, he says, yeah, you're going to drink my cup. It's the cup of the new covenant. It's the cup that's set before you this morning by a servant leader, somebody who set this table for you. In the name of Christ, to invite you to a table that represents the ransom that Christ paid his life for your life. He took your place in death so that you may have life. And we're called to that same posture, but it is a call to drink the cup of freedom, a cup that sets us free from the dungeon of self. It's a mindset. It's a posture of serving one another. It's a habit that aims at our hopes. In other words, what is your basic base of operation? That's your basic base of operation. This table. This table is your base of operation. Remembering, not, not saying... Are they going to respond well? Are they going to reciprocate? Am I going to be taken advantage of? Who are you going to be? 
What are you going to be like? What are you about? Who died for you? What is the well, the deep, deep well of grace and mercy and peace that Jesus gave to you, made possible for you? You can dip into that in this new year. And from that place, serve one another. Change and transform the relationships around you. Change your very posture and attitude towards your own work and your own colleagues and that annoying person who won't stop in that same pattern. You can be in charge of your own attitude. When you change your base of operation, when you dip into this well, let's pray together. This table, we're reminded that it is not about us. This is not a table celebrating our accomplishments or what we did or what decisions we made, but Lord, this is a table where we come and we're reminded of what you have done for us. The penalty that you paid for us, the body and the blood that you shed and broke for us. So Lord, we give thanks. The base of a servant leader is gratitude. Gratitude for the one who served us. You came not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. So, Lord, as we come to this table and we're reminded and we commune with you again, Lord, we ask that you would bless us. Bless this bread, bless this cup. Would they remind us of your promises and strengthen us by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.